So we've been in a series for the last many weeks on Jesus, and in particular, the past few weeks, we've been talking about Jesus as a healer, someone who went around in his earthly ministry doing amazing acts of healing, and this picture here portrays uh, uh, an incident where he came and, and healed someone who was sick for a long time, like 38 years, I think, was the, the total. And so this, we bring these questions, and we've brought these questions to the service week after week of our own healing, our own brokenness. And I think that as we've done so, I've, I've talked to many of you, I've heard your reflections, I've um, thought about my own sense of how this has shaped and, and changed me as I've preached these messages. And, and, and I sense that there's so much that we, um, that we need Jesus to heal. There's so much, and this isn't just about Jesus coming and doing a miraculous healing. Someone he, he did those things where people were blind from birth, and you know, as adults, he would come and he would heal them, and they could see again. I mean, a miraculous healings, but also he did some more subtle healings and um, healings of people whose lives were just bent on destruction, the, the sinful behaviors that they had in their life, the ways that they've been twisted and shaped. Um, in their own life, in their own family of origin, in their own experiences, need healing. And so when we think about healing, we're not just talking about miraculous physical healing. We're talking about healing from the, the families that we've come from. We're talking about healing uh, from the many experiences that we've gone through, which have, have broken or shaped us in, in negative ways. We're talking about psychological and emotional healing, all of the things that if we walk around day in and day out um, that are that what we might call broken, all of those things count in Jesus' ministry of healing. And he continually, as he is on the throne in heaven with God right now, he continues his healing ministry. And part of what we're doing here uh, in the Christian community and, and why we meet week after week is to bring our brokenness and to bring those things that seem like perhaps we've doubted if they could ever be healed to God's very presence and uh, bringing them week after week as he continues to heal us and shape us and take what was meant for evil in our lives and turn them into good. That's the God we serve. And so we talk about Jesus doing this because uh, this was a central part of his ministry. Now, I don't know how, uh, if, if you could do this, but uh, how many of you, just by a show of hands, could think of, like, could think of a time where you were like the sickest you'd ever been and you didn't think you were going to make it through? A lot, of people, we've, a lot of people have been in those moments where like, I've been so sick, I've been so ill in my life, I'm not even sure that I'm going to last through this. And I remember this one time in high school, I was having, I had meningitis of some sort, and I was down for three weeks, I was out of school. I can remember this time in my life vividly because I was so weak. And I remember getting it at a high school basketball game. I don't know if that's where I got it, but I was like, I remember being at the basketball game, watching it go and just being like, Something just hit me like a ton of bricks. What is that? For the next three weeks, I was just laid out. Um, well, I mean, I, I wasn't a great student then anyway, so that was kind of a good thing, and I had video games to help. But um, I, was, I, I remember, though, at, at certain points, um, I would have these fevers, and these fevers would overcome me, and I, would, I remember just waking up dripping in sweat, like just drenched in sweat. And, and this is just true of healing, as your body heals, if you look into the healing process, sometimes as you heal, your body goes, like, it feels like it gets so much worse before it ever gets better. And I just, I remember this feeling of, um, of this sense of, of how, how, um, 
how awful I felt. I mean, I didn't know if I was going to make it at some point. Uh, and so uh, sometimes healing happens, and as we heal, it feels like it's getting intense and so much worse and so much worse, and it, will this ever get better? And, and I find for myself, sometimes at the very peak of how awful it feels, it's like the, the darkest point before dawn, before God begins to, to, to bring things and restore things and bring life again and health and wholeness. And sometimes the, it can get so bad. And so because of our, um, I think, our experiences with, with, with being sick and healing and, and then being Christians who sometimes pray for healing and pray for uh, God to heal us, and sometimes it's, it seems like it's just getting worse or sometimes it's not even happening at all, I, I think that sometimes we can lose track of the fact that Christianity is a healing tradition. Okay, Jesus is a healer. Our tradition is a healer. And, but we ask these questions, why don't we see miracles more? Why are some people not healed sometimes? Why are some people not, not saved? And what does our own faith have to do with it? Because we know that somehow faith is connected up with healing, but we're not sure how. It can get kind of confusing. And so uh, these are the questions this morning that I'm bringing to the table. And I know that I sense a tenderness in the room, and we'll just take this gently this morning. Uh, but I wanted to, to, to dive into this this week because... I think that as, as we heal, as we go through our, the healing process as Christians, some of what I have to say today is so essential to understanding how God does this work. And so we've been talking about uh, forgiveness, and we, we do sometimes forget that, that Christianity is a healing tradition. And, um, you know, oh, I put these all on slides. Well, okay. So Christianity is a healing tradition. I've been giving the list recently in the past many weeks. If you've missed the past sermons, they're all on podcasted online, so check it out. But I've, been, I've given you a list of all the stuff that Jesus was able to do. This time I'm going to give it to you in pictures because I had some time to go and look at some pictures. Like There are some pictures that people painted in the medieval ages or whenever, and I'm just like, I can't even show this in public. So some of this stuff is maybe on the line, but, but most of it's you know PG. Okay, so Jesus healed people that were what, what they considered to be possessed with demons. And this is a, a portrayal of one time where Jesus uh, healed a person that was filled with all sorts, of, all sorts of evil spirits, and their life was just completely ruined by it. Um, and I, when I, as I go through these pictures, I would invite us to think about our own healing. What do we need to be healed from? And, and, and remember that Jesus is a healer. Here's a complex picture, but a good picture that, that depicts these phrases that you get in the Gospels that in many times in Jesus' ministry, people would bring all the sick of the city to him. I mean, the whole village or city that he was in would empty out of sick people, and they would come to Jesus, and you get this idea that he would go around and, and heal them person by person, ailment by ailment, sickness by sickness, and they would all be healed. Here's a picture. It's a dark, darker one of, um, of Jesus uh, healing a guy who'd been blind. I think this is a picture of a guy who'd been blind, or perhaps it's a guy who had leprosy, uh, the, that skin disease that was, that was contagious that Jesus healed lots of people from. Uh, this guy, this depicts uh, Jesus is healing. He healed people who, have been, who had been blind from birth, made them see again. You get this, this sort of delight in this picture about this old man who's about to see for the first time in his life and this powerful hand which was about to touch him. I love this picture. You remember the, the story of uh, the guy who'd been paralyzed 
for his whole life, and his friends tried to get him to Jesus. But in that instance, there were so many people trying to get to Jesus for the healing that they couldn't even get into the house. And so they tore open the roof, and they lowered him down. And this is Jesus about to, to lean over and to bring him uh, to restore his, his, his healing. This is a, a story of a woman who had, had ulcers for just a long time. No doctor could find the problem. And so as Jesus was walking along, she came and, and touched the, the hem of his touched the hem of his garment, his, his robe there, and was immediately healed. Um, Jesus, in, the, in an upper chamber, with a little girl who had died. She had died, and they brought Jesus to him, and, and he put his hand on her and said, little girl, get up. And life came back into her, and she was alive again. And again, another, another picture. I love this one. Of, of Jesus' healing. So if there's anything, friends, that I'm inviting us to get out of this little series on Jesus as a healer, is that he, he has the power to heal. He did it, and there was no bones about it. He was able to do amazing things. And yet we still have these, these deep and foundational questions that we bring to Jesus about him, who, who does he choose to heal, and how does healing work? And if he's a king, if he's so great a king, then, then why, why, is the, why is the movie still playing 2,000 years later? Why is, why is the story still going? Why are we in a world full of brokenness if he can do all these things? And they're very real questions, and they're not off limits. If we have these questions, if they burn deep inside of us, even if it's about our own sense of needing healing, it's okay to bring them to God and ask these questions. Jesus says, why? Why not me? Why not this time? Why? And so um, we, we bring our brokenness to Jesus. We've been talking about this in terms of Jesus being a healer and linked to his kingship, but also hitting at the sense that somehow, as we begin to answer these questions, there's some sort of teaching Jesus has, which is healing is linked deeply with the forgiveness of sins. And repentance. And so as we come to Jesus, as we come to his throne looking for healing, looking for others' healing, a lot of our emotional and psychological brokenness has to do with sins that have gone unforgiven, sins that haven't been brought to God. We carry the burdens of them, whether it's our own sins or someone else's sins against us. So again, I've talked about this for many weeks, so you can check back on the podcast about this. So we come now to, to John the Baptist, right? Whose ministry was, you guessed it, a ministry of forgiveness and repentance. Uh, he had drawn people of Israel, drawing the people of his day out to the desert, out to the edges of the city where he was baptizing them in the water. They would come and they would say to him, here's what I've done. Here are the things in my life, the, the mistakes I've made, the, the, the brokenness that haunts me. Uh, I bring this to God and I repent of it. I, I, I proclaim my neediness of him, I, my, need, my neediness to be forgiven. And that's what he was doing. He was baptizing these people and great restoration and great healing was happening. And, um, and Jesus comes along. And Jesus' ministry, his own ministry, is about healing. And John and Jesus, we've been talking about uh, the, the parallel ministry. What happens is we know that John gets imprisoned. He gets in prison for speaking up against injustice, speaking up against King Herod. And here he was in jail, 
probably wrestling. Remember, we talked last week. I'm just sort of prepping us here for, for this week's teaching. Remember, prepping us uh, uh, to get to the sense that uh, John was in prison and he was doubting. He had proclaimed boldly that Jesus was the coming one and he began to doubt. And so we asked the question about faith and the nature of faith. And here he was in jail, probably sometime just before his death, wrestling between faith and doubt and despair and thinking, I mean, we can, we, can, we can relate, right? Wrestling somewhere in this place where we're going, this doesn't make any sense. Why am, why am I in this prison? Where's Jesus, my cousin? I, said, I thought he loved me. I thought he was the great, powerful one. And, and we have these deep questions. Maybe he's not the coming one. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus saying, oh, no, did we get this right? Are, are you the, the powerful one? And Jesus is just, he's so cut up on the inside. He's probably so... Um, grieving that his, his cousin has lost faith. And yet he says, go tell John. Go tell John that all of these healings have happened. Okay? And, and, here, and here we get this final story of John. He's somewhere, he's somewhere in, rotting in Herod's dungeons. And Herod, in his own brokenness, is throwing this party. When you, when you put brokenness and power together, I think we all know what happens. Not, not good things, not repentance, not forgiveness, not healing and wholeness, but more brokenness and more, more, more pain. And so you, here you have this, this deeply troubled king of the Jews, King Herod, and he's got this illegitimate wife and this daughter, this, this stepdaughter, who is dancing probably half-clothed in front of his drunken party. Okay, just going to give it to you there. That's what was happening, setting the scene. And Herod's enjoying this scene a little too much. And, he's, and he says, keep dancing, illegitimate stepdaughter, and I'll give you anything you want, even up to half my kingdom. And, and Herodias, Herod's wife, who doesn't like John because he spoke up against the marriage, says to him, here's what, here, here's what you need to ask Herod for, for the head of John the Baptist. Go have him beheaded in jail. How many of us, I mean, I'm just, it's hard sometimes to think in the, associate with like the King Herods of the world. But I think it's an important question for us to ask as we come to the presence of God. How many of us would give up half of our kingdom for a moment's worth of pleasure? I think so much of the brokenness in the world comes down to this this scenario in this scene. We build up our lives, we build them up, and we, we bring them before God, and we do the best we can. I've, I've just seen time after time people spending a night or a, a weekend and giving away half of their kingdom for a moment's full of pleasure. And we're just, we find ourselves once again in the cycles of brokenness and despair. And we bring, you know, we, we bring those to God saying, God, would you, could you even redeem these types of mistakes? And the answer is yes. Yes, you can. This is the exact type of healing that Jesus was trying to enact. Herod didn't listen. He didn't repent. But we have the chance. So, so here's the Herods of the world throwing this party full of debauchery. And he's like, oh, I kind of liked John. I kind of liked talking to him. But okay, if this is what you want, if, if you can just keep dancing for us, then, um, then I'll give you the head. So... We sort of, we know the story goes like this. Um, no, 
I had a picture. I was like, I shouldn't show that picture. There's a lot of pictures of John, I mean, a lot of portraits of John the Baptist being beheaded. Google, Google it if you have the stomach. So, uh, so John gets beheaded. He's in prison, doubting God, and in comes the jailer opening the, the, the door, coming in. I can't, you can imagine what must have been going through his mind. Jesus, this is the moment. You have one more moment to save me, Jesus. Are you going to come storming the castle? Are you going to use your power that you have to heal? Are you going to use it on me? John goes. And we get this almost horrific idea and this almost horrific reality that, um, that sometimes uh, healing is more complex than just God coming in and doing it and making it happen. And this is what I want to dwell, delve into today. How do, we, how do we deal with this? You remember when Jesus was teaching about John? I think some of the answers are here in, in some of the things Jesus had to say. He had three things that he, he said about John or around this incident that I think should give us some sort of inspiration or at least some sort of sense of direction. So first, he began, this was after John was killed, he, after he just preaching on John. Then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his deeds of power had not been done because they did not repent. Okay, just, just to, to put it here so we all are clear. Jesus goes around preaching, healing all those sick people in the city, and there are a lot of the cities that it doesn't do a thing, doesn't change them. In fact, oftentimes it turns them against Jesus. Okay? Point one. Point two, but to what will I compare this generation? Just like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. So here's the picture. In one of those marketplaces, in one of the towns that Jesus was in, you have this childlike game going on. Jesus says, it's like there's this childlike game going on. It's like kids playing a wedding song in the streets, trying to get you to dance, but when you don't follow, when you don't do what they want you to do, instead of just laughing going on, then they get upset with you. Why are you not dancing? I'm playing a wedding song. And then you go, on the other hand, you get this uh, funeral dirge, kids in the marketplace playing, playing a funeral dirge, who are wailing and we're weeping. They're not serious. They don't really, they're not really into a funeral. But they're expecting the adults to play along. Now, here's, here's the thing. What this probably means, in case you have, this is one of the hardest teachings, uh, what this probably means is that John the Baptist was out, and he was kind of like a, a brooding figure. He was out going, the, you know, the, the axe is laying at the root of the trees. God's going to come judge you. He was probably not like the most fun guy to be around, is the point. And the people came out, and they were like, John, why, why are you being so serious? Why, why, are you, why are you not lighthearted enough? And that didn't really change John. It didn't cause him to rejoice. And Jesus came. And he was quite the opposite. He wasn't this brooding figure. He was a guy dancing like at weddings. He, was, he, was, he loved a good party. And they came to him and they tried to get him to weep and mourn and say, why are you not being so serious? And uh, so you get the sense that the characters at play here are the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the people who can't quite get Jesus to do what they want him to do. Okay? So that's that. We'll get, unpack this in a second here. And then finally, third, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. And I think what this means, I think basically what this means is you look at King Herod. 
King Herod was trying to get power as much as he could over all of Israel, and he was doing it by force, and he was doing it by violence. And Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom of heaven doesn't come by violence. The kingdom of heaven isn't going to happen by people taking their um, powers into their own hands to try to violently, violently take it by force. Okay, so I'm setting this up, uh, us up here for this, these teachings. Okay, first, well, I'll just say this to begin with. While we cannot ever know God's mysterious strategies for rescuing the world, we can learn something about his mind from this experience of John's life and death. First, God knows that deeds of power don't always result in faith. And sometimes it goes the other way. We tell ourselves, God, if you would have just healed that person, or if you could just do a wonderful sign, you'd be so... You'd be, Glorified, people would come to you and people would be amazed. I have to tell you, it's human nature, friends. I've seen it play out. Someone gets saved or healed, or they were something really bad was going to happen, and then it turned around for their good. And instead of being more humble and more open to God, they just rationalize it away as some sort of maybe fortune or fate, or they just ultimately forget that the good thing happened. And this happens in, if, if you read the Gospel of John, I want to teach us this because it's so important. If, if we read the Gospel of John, John's Gospel is built on miracles, seven different miracles that Jesus did. But Jesus didn't want to do most of them. The first miracle was changing water to wine at a wedding in Cana. And uh, they had run out of wine, and Jesus' mom, Mary, was like, I know Jesus could help out here. <laughs> and Jesus is like, woman, it's not my time. I don't want to do this, okay? Miracle one, Jesus doesn't want to do it. <laughs> Miracle two, a little, a little um, boy who had been crippled was brought to Jesus, maybe by a demon. Uh, and the father comes to Jesus and says to him, heal my son. And you know what Jesus says? Sure, I'll do that. No, no. He says, you wicked and perverse generation, always seeking for a sign. That's his response. Okay? Jesus doesn't want to have to work this miracle because sometimes he knows that it doesn't work out well for those who are just looking for a sign. You could go on. Uh, the guy who is sick for 38 years, Jesus goes, the picture, I'll heal you. Uh, do you really want to be healed? God doesn't answer. Jesus heals him anyway. What does that happen? He turns against Jesus. He goes and tells on the authorities, Jesus healed me on the Sabbath. This guy turned against Jesus. There's only one instance in the Gospel of John where healing went well for Jesus, and that was the boy who was blind from birth. Jesus healed him. The boy was kicked out of the synagogue that, he, that, he, uh, that was part of his community, and then he became his disciple. That was the one instance, the one miracle in the whole Gospel of John where that go, the healing goes well for Jesus. The final healing, he has a, a, a beloved friend, Lazarus, who's died, who's in the tomb. He's dead for four days. Jesus comes and heals him. And what's the result? It said the religious leaders and the Pharisees wanted to kill both Jesus and John. And I've seen this play out in my own ministry and watching people dealing with healing. And sometimes, instead of healing, actually bringing people to God, it actually turns them against him. It's just this weird thing. We have this desire in our hearts to have our own kingdoms and to have our own self-sufficiencies. And sometimes if God, God heals, it turns us against him. I think he knows that. So when God doesn't heal, 
Sometimes we have to ask the question, um, what does he know that we don't? So sometimes deeds of power don't always result in faith. Sometimes they do the opposite. Okay. I want to be gentle here but firm. Second, while we need to show some confidence in God, healing isn't about a formula. I'm just going to put it this bluntly. The healing of people is not dependent upon our faith. This is a hard teaching. Okay. I'm going to unpack this a little bit for us this morning. When we come to someone who's sick or someone who needs healing emotionally or physically, we can come to God in confidence that God can heal. And we can beg God with all of our heart to heal him with faith. I think God calls us to do that. That's part of our ministry. We can have confidence in God. But here's what healing doesn't look like. God, we played a flute for you and you did not dance. God, we, wore, we, we, weeped, we, we, we wailed and weeped, but you didn't mourn. We cannot twist God's arm into healing. His healing ministry is not about, and I've seen this play out, especially in, my, in, in the states where we were at. You, you have someone come up to, to someone who wants to be healed, and it goes like this. Do you have faith to be healed? Yes. Well, in Jesus' name, I proclaim healing upon you. Nothing. And instead of at that point going, we're going to trust our confidence in God, and we're going to trust his, his larger wisdom, it goes like this. Do you really want to be healed? And we press in. Do you really? In Jesus' name, I heal you. And the more we do that, the more we take that route in healing, I believe the more, that, more damage that we can do um, in, in the larger healing, the healing ministry and the healing work that we have to do as Christians is a very subtle and nuanced healing tradition. It cannot be twisting God's arm and saying, God, we prayed, we had faith, you must work. And here's what happens. It bounces back upon us like this. Well, if we, have, if we thought we had faith and it didn't work, well, maybe it's because our faith was insufficient. Now, okay, so you bring up the passages of, well, what about the times where Jesus was in his hometown and it said that he couldn't heal because they didn't have enough faith? Or you get those instances where Paul is going around and he looks at someone and he sees they have faith to be healed. There is something to be said about a person having confidence in God, God's ability to heal, and our confidence in God. I'm not saying that we just have to be unconfident in God and uh, his ability to heal. I'm not saying that. But what these, these verses don't say is that if we, if we just say the right words and have the right feelings, God must do what we ask him to do. That's not Jesus' healing ministry. And the reason why I know that is because of what happened with John. Sometimes there's a more mysterious, bigger play, a bigger drama going on than we can see. And we have to be able to to submit ourselves to that larger drama. Why didn't he heal John? It's not because John was doubting. It was because John was part of a much bigger plan, and Jesus himself was about to walk the same road. He would find himself months later in the presence of King Herod being condemned to death. 
And remember, he said, I could call legions of angels down to save me, but there's something bigger going on, a bigger plan here that we cannot see, that we have to, um, that, that, that we have to follow Jesus in. He had the utmost confidence in God, and what that looked like at the end of Jesus' life was a crucifixion on a cross that was, that was mysteriously and this is the good news, friends. The larger drama always ends in resurrection, always ends in healing, always ends in restoration. So here it is. Sometimes as we pray for people and as we come to God's presence asking for healing, there's doubt in the mix. And this does not ruin God's plan. This isn't a quick fix kind of thing that we're about. The kingdom is not quick fix as much as we like it to be. John did some amazing work and brought people back to God. But in his final moments where he was waiting to be saved by Jesus and was not, I don't think John was asking if Jesus really cared for him. Or if he was saying, well, maybe Jesus didn't really have the power. I think he was sitting in this jail cell doing what Jesus was about to do, which was praying the greatest prayer that any of us could ever pray. Father, take this cup away from me but not my will, but yours be done. So healing isn't about a formula. We can go after it with confidence, but we have, to be, uh, we have to be submitted to the fact that there's a larger drama. So I, Jesus didn't save John. And I'll say this last thing. Anytime that John, someone like John dies, that person only becomes stronger. You get this, you know, you remember the great scene in The New Hope, Star Wars? Obi-Wan Kenobi, fighting with Vader, puts down his sword. Rather than taking the kingdom by violence, he puts that, he, his lightsaber goes away. And he says to Darth Vader, by killing me, you can only make me stronger. I will only be stronger because of this. And then his force ghost was like in the rest of the movies. Okay, so uh, this is the gospel. This is, what, this is the cross. This is what we're doing here. When, when we as Christians die in the Lord, our death becomes wrapped up with his. And his death is a death which is not just a death in vain, but a death for us, for the world, for the healing of the world. And our suffering, this is redemptive suffering, it's at the heart of the Christian faith. Our suffering, our languishing, our own deaths as they link up with Jesus becomes part of the seeds for the new world. And that's partly why we can be here and do this because if we try to, to, to go out as Christians and take a, a healing ministry and do a healing ministry by force, the kingdom of heaven up to John was like those who came and tried to take it with violence and take it with force. If we try to force some of this healing to happen in ourselves and others, if we don't abandon ourselves to God's larger drama and timing, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll actually do more violence, I believe, than good. I, I'm personally right now going through quite a season of, of healing. Um, I'm working with a therapist right now, but it's part of my prayer life and community life. I'm, I'm experiencing some, some pretty deep healing from stuff from my childhood. And it's actually making a really big impact on how I'm relating with you and how I'm relating with my family and how I'm relating with God. Um, I'm just testifying this morning that Christianity is a healing tradition. And when I give the answer to someone, why are you Christian? 
Why are you doing this? There's all sorts of reasons I give, but the most compelling and the most powerful and inspirational reason I have is because I look at back in my family tree and I can look at two grandfathers, one on my mother's side, one on my father's side. I can look back at two grandfathers and see one of them who struggled deeply with despair and hopelessness. And on the other side, I can see an indulgent, addicted, life-ruining, he ruined his own life, basically, pushing the uh, eject button on much of what was good in his life, over and over again, just hitting the ruts of self, uh, a destructive lifestyle. I see these two, two parts of my family tree, and I see myself so deeply in both of them. This gives up too easily and maybe is a bit addicted, can be, get a bit addicted to things. And, and I know, without having the last 20 years of my life or so, followed Jesus passionately and wholeheartedly, I know who I would be. I would be like a combination of those two men. But I'm not like them. I have, I have those propensities that Jesus is still healing, but I'm not like those men. I have inside of me a steadfastness, an ability to hope when things seem dark. I have inside of me a discipline which stays away from the things which would destructively ruin my life. I mean, yeah, I'm still growing. But God has changed me and healed me and transformed me from the person I should have been without him. So here's what I'm telling you, friends. Christianity is a healing tradition. It's not straightforward. It's kind of complex. And yet we can have confidence that God does this work in our lives. God can heal you and transform you from things that you can't even imagine could be healed and transformed. Things so deeply ingrained that you could think, could this change? God can heal you. He has the power. And what it takes is a long-term, steadfast devotion to him. And he will work it out in his wise ways. Now here's the thing. The last thing I want to say this morning is just a few words of of um, encouragement. This is going to be the last bit that I'm diving into healing um, with Jesus. Last sermon. We're getting into December next week, actually. Amazingly. But here's the thing. John. John was caught up in these cycles of faith. Courageous faith. And crippling doubts. And courage. His courage to even give it a go have a try to make a life of ministry was unbelievable. So if you struggle with faith and doubt, you can have a courageous ministry that doesn't disqualify you. Bring your whole selves to God and all your questions. He will work them out and use you powerfully to heal those around you. Now the practicalities of healing. When someone is sick and when someone is in pain, pray for them with confidence with a faith that God can heal them. Stick your neck out a little bit in John the Baptist pun. Stick your neck out a little bit. Encourage to pray for them. If you feel like you've been disappointed by God and you can't have the you don't have the courage to stick your neck out. Um, just remember John. Just remember that there's a larger story that we cannot, um, we cannot fully know. And we cannot wrestle healing. We cannot enact it. Jesus is the one who heals. We can, we can proclaim it and ask for it. But God, God will do what God will do. Uh, the first week uh, in, in this healing series, I talked about this older brother mentality. We, ha- we have this great parable that Jesus gives about healing. Uh, it's like, if we have sinned and are far from God, when we come to God, it's less like 
sort of a God who is wrathful saying to himself, yeah, well, I'll see if I'll take this one back. It's far more like a father who runs with all shamelessness uh, into our arms and, and embraces us back. So um, when we're in community, what can happen is we have some people, some of you, some of us, who have been Christians for a long time, slogging out this healing journey, slogging out this community of faith thing. And sometimes people come into community, and they're very young in the faith, and they need a place at home. And older brothers and sisters can say, well, they've got some work to do before they can have a real place in the house. But Jesus tells us it's quite opposite. It's when people come into community who are, are broken and not healed and wanting a place in the community, there's no resentment allowed. It's, it's like putting on a ring, a ring on their fingers and dancing for them as loud as you can. Um, so uh, as, as, as we go forth in, into our healing work in the healing community, part of our healing and healing other people is to embrace, embrace them warts and all, and uh, help them along the, the journey of healing and growth. Um, confidence in re- redemptive suffering. Friends, if, if you struggle with confidence in redemptive suffering, I understand. It's hard. Like, suffering is, is part of the deal. Um, and it's not easy. And sometimes it can be very debilitating and very, very, it can hurt so deep. Um, and yet, Part of the invitation into the Christian way is to have confidence that what God can do and make out of redemptive suffering uh, is like the, the remaking of the world. It's that big. Uh, and finally, repentance and baptism. I like the, I like the words of the opening, that, the opening of the, one of the songs that we sang today. Are you hurting and broken within? Is that you today? Do you, are you hurting and broken within? Come to the altar and what this looks like is, um, is repentance. It's, it's like taking the sorrowful brokenness and all of that you wish to be healed and bringing it to the throne of God, saying, God, I need you. Repentance and, and healing isn't like, I'm going to come to the altar and get another little fix of God's healing love. It looks far more like... Uh, this humble, almost willing to make a fool of yourself uh, act. Um, repent, friends. If you're holding on to something that is, is deep in, in, in you, if, if you are holding on to a, a way of, of, of life that is breaking you, you can come to God and you can say to him, God, I am addicted to this. I am... Uh, I cannot get out of this particular rut. I, I cannot on my own uh, change something that is destroying me over and over and again in my life. That's repentance. And you know when it's even better? is when you can look at someone who you've been hurting and someone who you have hostilities towards, and you can say to them, look, I, for years perhaps, I've been holding something over you. For years perhaps, I've been, I have been behaving in a certain way that just tears our family down. I I, I hate that about my life. I'm so sorry that I've sinned against you. Guys, you've heard about the word revival, right? Revival is like when something happens and lots of people who are far from God come close to him. Every revival that I know about starts with 
someone standing up in front of a community and saying, look, I've been not so nice. I've been actually quite uh, hard to be around. I'm sorry. All revivals, all new movements of God's spirit start with people being willing to let go and to be honest with each other about their own brokenness. We can't just hold ourselves up as like, okay, I'm doing well. Find a way in the next couple months to reach out to people who you, who, who you may have hurt or continue to hurt uh, with your own way of being and apologize and repent. Find a way to bring that to God. Let me tell you, if, if a community together was courageous enough to bring their brokenness out into the light together and embrace one another as children of God nonetheless, that's, that's when the movement of, of God is historically just begins to go move like wildfire. So what is that for you? What are the things you're holding on to that just need to be spoken? Repent. And one of the best ways to do this is to get baptized. Okay, finish off with John the Baptist here. If, if, you, um, if you haven't been baptized, or if, if you have come to faith and want to make an, act, an, an active sense of, I, I want to be close to God, I want to be freed from the powers of my addictions and the powers of, of evil in my life, get baptized, friends. I, we can baptize you in community and make a public proclamation of your faith. Uh, I'm going to be doing a baptism here in February. Uh, right here, we're gonna, we've got a, a, a baptism that, that's, that's going to, a day where anyone who wants to be baptized can be baptized in a big vat of warm water. It's not going to be freezing. Um, if you want to get baptized, if you've never been baptized, if, you, if baptism is something you want to do to, to repent in this way, let me know. In the next, in the next couple of months, I'll meet with you. I'll walk you through what baptism is. And in February, we'll dunk you. So let me know. That's the last thing I wanted to say today. Uh, we're, we're now walking into Christmas. This is going to be our next slide. You, you can see up here the angel is up here, appearing to the shepherds, keeping watch over their flock by night. Actually, in the Christian calendar, Advent, next week begins the new year. It's our new, the beginning of our Christian New Year as we begin to think about Jesus' birth over again. There's no better time than Christmas to get your life in order, to start over. And so, uh, especially if you want to make it through Christmas without uh, just deep brokenness, as, as we can sometimes do. So I invite everyone to the table this morning. We're going to turn our attention to this bread and to this, and to this um, blood, this, this juice here that symbolizes Jesus' blood. 